Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Thank you, Leonor, for your reading of Scripture, and we are so excited to have you join in your new role with us. Before I dive into things, let me just open us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that we get to spend time in the Word of God, and we praise you and thank you. And as we hear this text today, help us to be people who not only hear, but do what your Word is is saying. Holy Spirit, come and help us to be people who are willing to leave what is behind in order to follow the call you have placed in our life. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of my favorite things to do, especially in the summer, is go to the Toronto Public Library and grab four or five or three or four or five different science fiction novels to work over the summer. I love a good dystopian sci-fi book. I love the politics and I love the storyline. And one of my favorite uh, movies, actually, is Maze Runner. And there's this amazing moment in Maze Runner where the main characters have to choose whether they stay in their home, in their home base that they know and they cherish, or if they should leave in search of something better. And today, as we dive into Scripture, I think we have a chance, if we're willing, And if we're willing to leave the thing that we cherish, we may be able to receive something more amazing. So if you brought your Bibles with you, feel free to open up to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be spending time in Scripture. Yet before we read uh, in verse 15, let me actually begin by reading the verse before that. We've been studying Luke for what seems like two years, and we've been loving this series, exploring the gospel and seeing what Jesus has to say to us. Yet there's a theme that really comes out in Luke 18, and it's in verse 14 that it's made clear. Jesus says, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You see, this theme of the kingdom of God, of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be lifted up. Last week, we saw it in the text where the, you know, the righteous Pharisee who thought he was better than anyone else is humbled, where the humble tax collector, the cheat, the thief, comes before God and is exalted, is declared righteous. We see this theme in the next passage with the blind man who is healed, and we also see it in the entire book of Luke, especially through Christ's death on the cross, where he humbled himself and was exalted in his resurrection. Today, as we spend time looking at the characters in today's story of who Jesus interacts with, we'll see this theme of exalted and humbled uh, played out in how Jesus deals with the children, the rich ruler, and the disciples as well. So in your Bible, what we're going to do is read two or three verses at a time, unpack it, and see what the Word of God says, and we'll go from there. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. People were also bringing their babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked him. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. In our society, our society values children. We love children. We you know, children can be the center of attention. My wife and I are the only siblings in our, both our families who have kids. So when we have family get-togethers, 
our kids just take over. It's like they steal the show and they become the center of attention. I sometimes feel bad for my siblings, yet it's because kids are highly valued in our culture. Even think about all the effort and energy that's being put right now to think about how we can best take care of our kids as they return to school. Yet in the ancient Near East, in the time that Jesus was living, children were not highly valued. Women, children, the unmarried, poor, the foreigner made up the marginalized and despised class. So when the disciples couldn't even be bothered with this, when they see these children coming to Jesus, they're almost saying, Jesus, stop wasting your time on these insignificant people. Focus on the people who matter, like these educated men, the one whose society values the most. And I can just see Jesus just like, disciples, you got this all wrong. Don't you understand this value of the kingdom? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus says, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter into it. Wow, what does that mean? You need that childlike faith or childlike trust to enter into the kingdom. Children come unabashed. They come running. They come with great joy, and they don't come doubting. Yet often we as adults come and we are skeptical. We have questions, and we're not willing to commit. And we see this in the next character who shows up in the story. In verse 18, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Here comes this man, this male, a man of status coming to Jesus. It's the exact opposite of these children who have come to him. And he's asking a question. He wants to know how to inherit eternal life. Jesus simply turns and says, why do you call me good? And he might be calling, I'm not exactly sure what the intent of the rich ruler was, whether it was flattery or a sign of respect, but Jesus points out something interesting. If only God is good, and unless you acknowledge me as God, which you don't, why do you call me good? Jesus continues and takes him into Scripture. In verse 20, we see Jesus' response. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. If you want to know how to inherit eternal life, Jesus gives him this answer. And many of you would have recognized that as five of the ten commandments. Jesus lists out the Ten Commandments there, five of them, and this man says, his reaction is like, Jesus, I have been able to keep this all my life. And my reaction to that young man is, come on, really? Have you been able to keep that? You know, especially in light of Jesus' teaching in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount that murder is not simply the act of killing. Anger in your heart towards someone is murder, is sin. Adultery isn't the act of committing adultery. And lust towards someone else is also what the Bible calls sin. Yet this man says, you know, I've never broken these commands. Jesus could totally call him out right now, but he doesn't. Why? Because he's going to go after something else, something of greater significance. In verse 22, we see the text reads, 
When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you lack one thing, sell, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. It's amazing. Jesus says the one thing you lack is what? Sell everything you have and follow me. And his response, he was dejected. He was sad because he loved his wealth. Now, I think we have to be careful not to judge this man too harshly. In Mark's account, in, this, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark's account has this man, this ruler running up to Jesus in a humble fashion, bowing before Jesus, and it, the Word of God says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is responding with compassion because he sees someone who really actually wants to know the answer to what, how to inherit eternal life. Yet the problem for this rich ruler he was attached to his wealth and felt it, felt it would be too difficult to give up in order to follow Jesus. You know what? If I was standing in his shoes and Jesus asked me that question, I'd find it hard to give up my wealth right now as well. Give up all that I've worked for? If it was me, this is what I'd probably do. I'd start bartering with Jesus. Jesus, can we make a deal, a compromise? How about I give up 50% of my wealth and give that to the poor, and then the other 50%, I'll just give it to you. You seem good with money. You can invest it and keep anything you earn on it. And then when we're done this following thing, you can give it back to me. Yet Jesus' call has no middle ground. He's unrelenting in his call. He continues, Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This leaves the rich ruler and the disciples, and quite frankly, me, dumbfounded. If an honest man who's trying his hardest, who, you know, is trying to keep the law, can't enter the kingdom of heaven, who can? Some think this eye of a needle reference is to a gate in Jerusalem, but the analogy is really clear. It's impossible for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom, just like it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I'm sure there's a bunch of good memes about that out there somewhere. As I hear this text, I think to myself, and it actually asks, it leaves me asking so many questions. So can the rich enter the kingdom? Are rich people doomed? Am I rich, especially living in North America? Do I stand no chance in entering the kingdom? Is the call of the gospel to sell everything we have and follow Jesus? Am I supposed to be a monk? Am I supposed to live in the wilderness? Should I abandon all my present responsibilities as a husband, as a father? Just hearing this text makes me wonder if I've missed something key in the gospel. But I think we have to stop a moment and ask, what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is trying to expose is what hinders this rich ruler from receiving or entering into the kingdom. And quite frankly, that's going to be a different answer for each of us. Jesus has put his finger on this man's wealth as what hinders him from leaving that behind to follow Jesus. And as I was preparing the sermon, thinking through how, 
how do, we, how do we communicate this? I think this is a great moment to actually just stop and place ourselves in the shoes of the rich man. If it was me and Jesus was talking to me, what would be the things that Jesus would put his finger on in my life? And as I thought about that, I'm, I thought, for sure, finances, you know? When I was in my 20s and I, I did, didn't have much money, it seemed really easy to be able to give up everything I had to follow Jesus financially. But now, and this is kind of funny, I think it's true across society, it's almost like the more wealth you have, the harder it is to give it up. I was even thinking that when I, when I, I, worked for about, uh, I worked for a parachurch organization for almost 10 years of my life. And during that time, I had to raise my own financial support. Yet if Jesus was to say, what I want from you right now is to leave the security of, uh, of your income and support raise and follow me wherever I call you to go, that would be hard. If he was to call me to leave my position, you know, a place where people respect me and appreciate me, to do something menial and where no one would appreciate who I am and lose that sense of respect, I would find that hard. I don't know what it'd be like for you. Maybe for some of us, it's our, it's our job, that where we find our identity and find our value, that we're, we're so hesitant to, to leave that behind in order to follow Jesus' call for our life. Maybe it's self-security. Maybe we've lived our entire life being dependent on others, and finally now we can do it on our own, but we don't want to give that up in order to follow Christ. For many of us, I think it will be finance. I mean, Jesus teaches you can't uh, worship both God and money. There's so much talk about that in the Scripture. Some of us, it might be our significance. And for others of us, especially in North America, I think our comfort. We just want an easy life. We want to be able to retire. We want to control our work week. We want to be able to just chill in the evening. We want to be able to go on the vacation that we want to do. Some of us, you know, the thing that would hold us back or hinder us from following Jesus might be some, our identity or our families. And often, I'm just going to speak to parents and grandparents, sometimes we can hinder our kids and our grandkids from following Jesus. You know, sometimes Jesus is calling one of our kids to do something. We tell them, you know what? You can follow Christ, but not that hard. Make sure you finish your undergraduate degree. Or as grandparents, we can tell our kids, you know what? I want you to love Jesus, but you know, you can just stay in Canada. If he calls you to go somewhere else, that's not from God. That's too much, too extreme. See, a good test to figure out whether if any of these things hinder us from following Jesus is that if Jesus was to ask for us to surrender that to him, our immediate response is to negotiate or barter with him, trying to find another way. You know, Jesus, Jesus puts a call in my life, I want you to go to Eastern Europe or move to South Asia and, and work there and minister to people and share the good news of Jesus to people there. If my immediate response is, you know what, like, Lord, I don't really want to do that. How about I just give 20% of my money or how about I like a one-week mission trip or, you know, take my son, send him there I don't, instead of in, in my place, anything but me. That'd probably be bad parenting. But as soon as we start negotiating or bartering, it's a good sign that we're not willing to give that up in order to follow Christ. Now, just to be clear, I'm not calling us all to quit our jobs uh, sell everything we have, live off the land, and follow Jesus. I just want us to be able to hear what Jesus is saying to us. Alistair Begg puts it well. 
While Jesus is not calling everyone to sell their belongings and to leave their family, he is calling everyone to surrender to him unconditionally, the first place in my heart and in my life. Let me read that again. While Jesus is not calling everyone to sell their belongings and to leave their family, he is calling everybody to surrender to him unconditionally, the first place in my heart and in my life. The reality is, we all cling to something that hinders us from going deeper with Christ or even beginning that journey in the first place. And here's the thing, Christ wants so much more for us, even more than we desire or can see. It's like in that scene in The Maze Runner where people choose to stay at the original camp even though it's getting destroyed because it's all they know or the brave ones set out in search of something new. So when the crowds seeing this problem, they, they exclaim in verse 26, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Who can be saved? The answer is it is impossible on your own. Whether rich or poor, male, female, pious, religious, irreligious, no one can save themselves. Salvation is a gift that God gives to us. For you see, in the beginning, the story of Scripture is such God created the world, created humankind in his image, yet we chose to do our own thing, which is what the Bible calls sin. Yet God, in his great love for us, pursued us and sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that through his death and resurrection, we may have true life. We can't save ourselves but God has made a way for us to be saved through the death and resurrection of Christ. This is something that you've never done before and you're, or you're curious and you have questions. I just encourage you to click show more below and follow the link to our connect page and just fill out that form and we'd love to journey with you and answer your questions. Upon understanding it's impossible to save yourself, Peter, the apostle, who had just been rebuked by Jesus for stopping children coming to him, says something brilliant as he's slowly grasping how this kingdom works. In verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brother or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. It's like Jesus is saying to Peter, you got this, Peter, you got it. In this upside-down kingdom where the humble will be exalted and the exalted will be humbled, what I am asking and what you are learning is that you leave behind what hinders in order to follow me. While Jesus is not calling everyone to sell their belongings and to leave their family, he is calling everyone to surrender to him unconditionally the first place in our hearts and in our lives. Jesus is calling us to give up what hinders us and come and experience what true living is about in this life and the next. 
Jesus is calling us to give up what hinders and come and experience what real living is about. And when we are able and when we give up the idols that hinder us, uh, whether it's family or comfort or self-sufficiency, freedom or control or status, we begin to experience more and more the joy of Christ and following the ways of the cross. My question for us is simple. How are you receiving the kingdom? Are you receiving it like a child with open arms and great trust? Are, are you like the rich ruler who there's that one thing that hinders you from really uh, turning from that and turning toward Christ? Or are you like the disciples, fumbling and stumbling, but that's okay, trying your hardest to continue to walk and follow in the way of the cross? What's your one thing? What is the one thing that hinders you from following Jesus? What is Jesus calling, what is Jesus calling you to give up in order to follow him more deeply? Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.